we proceed to the consideration of this question. What do we know about the faithfulness of God from the Bible? An interesting passage on this great theme is found in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 to 11. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. We have been for some time studying the nature of God as revealed in the Bible. We can know many things about God from the physical wonders surrounding us. Our physical bodies are a part of this material system. Man will never exhaust the wonders and mysteries of these profound things. On every hand, there are these evidences of a great supernatural intelligence. There is an interwoven design that utterly astonishes long years of pondering. The easiest way to account for all this is that a God of immeasurable greatness and intelligence planned it all and brought it into existence by the processes of creation. By the accepted law that the designer must be greater than the product, God must be greater than the inconceivable universe that astronomers have peered into with their great instruments. In addition to the intelligence and greatness of God, we may discover also the goodness of God from the many adaptations that exist about us. God has created the idea of pleasure and happiness to satisfy these basic desires, adequate experiences were also planned. The idea of friendship was placed in our constitutions and the ability to make communications to foster it. Above human friendships and communications is the possibility and spiritual equipment to have direct fellowship with and friendship with God. This is the highest achievement and privilege of man. Only this brings that full and abiding inner satisfaction of heart for which man was created. Then there are many lesser experiences which God has graciously planned. There is the tender privilege of parenthood and the development of heart affections involved. There is the pleasant experience of eating the body needs food. God has planned that this should not be a chore, but a pleasure. Therefore, food was embodied with a taste, and man was given an apparatus to appreciate it. Thus man enjoys what he has to do. We could only go on through the wonders of God's handiwork, even as the psalmist wrote and marvel. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork, 
as recorded in the 19th Psalm, verse 1. Also in the 139th Psalm, verse 14, these wonders are extolled. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. So it was within the realm of consciousness and knowledge. But we cannot learn very much of the inner nature of God, be these things ever so profound. They multiply our desires to learn more of the great God who has so blessed us. We are led to expect that God would satisfy this wholesome curiosity also in some sort of communication adapted to our needs. This has been graciously given in the Bible. God called forth worthy men who had responded to His grace and conveyed to them in great confidence many secrets concerning the divine being and His relationship to man, so that the world might profit from these impartations of knowledge, these men, called forth into this special intimacy, were given to write those things which are true with reference to God, with reference to the true state of man, the origin of all the things that have caused such wonderment to man, and how the present tragic state of affairs have come to be and what God is doing about them. The Bible, the Word of God, leads men into a solution of these perplexities which have troubled him. Accepting it, facts concerning sin and God's accomplished remedy, man can emerge into an exceedingly happy life by the grace of God. The Bible tells us many things about the inner nature of the Godhead. It tells us that God is the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, as the prophet Isaiah wrote in 57.15, and whose years are throughout all generations and shall have no end, as the psalmist wrote in 102, verses 24 to 27, we are told that man was created in the image of God, Genesis 1.27, and thus by self-analysis we can understand something of the great personality of God. Multitudes of personal actions are ascribed to God, from which we learn that God exercises control over his great intellect that he possesses emotional reactions of immense proportions and has the quality of being to make decisions which we call actions of will. As to the manner of God's existence, we learn from the Bible that God experiences changes similar to ourselves. To experience changes, he must have the area of time to live in or must have successions of events as a part of his nature. Otherwise, God could never think a new thought, experience pleasure or satisfaction, nor decide to do anything in his vast operations. Or, in other words, we would have a blind determinism, a fate in place of a living God. 
It is the overwhelming presentation of the Bible that God does have these successions of thoughts, emotions, and decisions of will, and thus God is the living God with whom we have to do, and not a dead philosophical infinitude which men have created. How exceedingly happy to accept in childlike fashion the plain revelations concerning the nature and being of God as unfolded to us in the Bible, the Word of God. We have discussed the otherwise unknown fact that the Bible reveals a trinity of personalities in the Godhead who are referred to as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This picture runs throughout the Bible and is particularly unfolded in the New Testament where we have the account of the Son of God being incarnated in our human flesh by the virgin birth to become the Savior of the world through His sacrificial death. But more particularly, the word attribute has been brought into our endeavor to sum up what we know about the manner of life of the members of the Godhead. An attribute is a description of some quality of being or character or something that is true about a person or thing. It is a summarizing of what we know. Human beings have attributes to be sure. The Godhead have attributes. In the study of God there is a twofold division of characteristics or attributes. Some are involuntary or do not involve an action or a choice. They are necessary or an endowed part of the being of God. God cannot help possessing them and therefore it is common to refer to this class of characteristics as natural attributes. Another class of attributes are dependent upon choice or a constant state of activity in a certain direction. They are voluntary or not necessary. Because of this feature, they have exceeding great value since they determine moral character. Character cannot be a fixity but must be formed by each moral being for himself. Because of God's voluntary directive of will in certain directions, we say that he has moral character. The things that are true concerning God's actions we call moral attributes. They are characteristics that God is responsible for or are not necessitated. Therefore, virtue is to be ascribed to God for possessing them, and only virtue, since no one has proved any contrary actions to be true of the great and good God. The obvious natural attributes that the Bible describes to God are these, eternity, omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence. We cannot be expected to do more then faintly understand these traits of being, or we would be approaching the greatness of God. However, 
we are very mysterious beings ourselves and have not learned all that there is to learn about ourselves even. Who understands the mystery of the human spirit and the soul? Who can explain what happens at death when the immaterial and unseen, the real man, is separated from the physical or the body? We therefore should not be astonished if we cannot press our minds very far into the comprehension of the great and glorious being of God. However, there is a vast difference between a mystery and a contradiction. It is maintained that the profound unfoldings of the Bible will be in the realm of the mysterious, but not in the realm of the contradictory. God does not ask us to accept contradictions by faith. We do not have trouble with true mysteries when we can perceive by our God-given comprehensions some part of the unfolding. What we do see will not trouble our minds. It will abundantly satisfy them that we have seen as far as we can, inasmuch as what we have seen is not contradictory. We must ever guard against the contradictory. It is not of God. Impossibilities cannot be true of God or man. May we pray. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank Thee for Thy revelations of Thyself through the Bible, the Word of God. And now we pray that many may respond to Thy tender invitations by coming to repentance and by faith in Christ, finding forgiveness and restoration to Thee to enjoy Thy wonderful fellowship now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.